The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Astrology reveals insights into the greater world, its changing cycles and universal forces. Through the lens of astrology, we examine special topics and current events, investigate their meaning, and discuss solutions to personal and global problems. Welcome to Astrology, the theory of everything, with Mary Jo Weavers and Janie McCarthy. We are here to show you how astrology can be a powerful tool for self-awareness and transformation. You'll be amazed how everything is interconnected when using astrology. Now, here are your hosts, Mary Jo and Janie. Welcome. This is Mary Jo Weavers. Today, as we record this show, the moon is in the sign of Sagittarius. So it is very fitting that in today's show, we will be discussing Sagittarius, the archetypal seeker of truth, as well as the recent ingress of Saturn into Sagittarius. Joining me on the show from Los Angeles is special guest Gal Eden Sasson, astrologer, expert on the Kabbalah, and cosmic navigator. Gal is an established author and teacher and has been giving workshops on the Kabbalah, astrology, and mysticism around the globe for over 15 years. His first book, A Wish Can Change Your Life, has been translated into over eight languages and is endorsed by His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama. His latest work, Cosmic Navigator, Design Your Destiny Using Astrology and Kabbalah, is the essential reference guide to understanding your astrological makeup. In true Sagittarian style, Gaul will soon be leaving on his European tour, teaching and giving workshops and lectures. So I am very grateful to have him on the show today. Welcome, Gaul. Hi, I'm very happy to be here on Friday the 13th. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, let's start by um, having you tell us about your approach to astrology, Gal. How would you describe it, and how do you practice it? I, I view astrology much more like a storytelling machine, almost as if for thousands of years, very, very intelligent men and women from different traditions uh, put all of their efforts and their energy into classifying life according to 12 drawers. It's a... Uh, and it's an interesting experiment in human, um, in human philosophy, in human thought. How can we take life as we know it here on planet Earth and divide it into 12 segments, 12 folders? So anything you have, whether it's, uh, I'm looking now at my uh, um, organic uh, kombucha bottle, where, where will it be classified under the 12 folders? If there is a computer, where is it? Uh, the lamp, uh, my child, my dog, my house. Like looking at life and trying to see how we can force them, if we want, into those 12 archetypes. And once we understand what is in each one of the drawers, 
we can also deduct that there is some kind of an underlying connection between everything we place together in that same drawer or folder. So A, it's an exercise in classifying life in a sense, in almost like a language, you can say. And also, it gives us clues about the interconnectedness between things and how they relate to each other. Because what's so beautiful about astrology, because it's based on a circle that has no beginning and no end, that really is not only important what in each drawer is located, but also the relationship between those two different, or these 12 different drawers. So then it becomes not only about what we classified inside those folders, but how we arrange them again, or compared to each other. So I look at astrology as a symbol, as a, as a language of signs, a language of symbols that can tell us much more than uh, words or even stories. So the way I like looking at astrology is not in a very religious way, maybe because I grew up in Israel when there's so many wars and destruction and pain caused because of religion. So I'm not the kind of a person that checks to see what's happening today, astrologically speaking, or, oh, my God, I'm traveling on Mercury retrograde or Venus retrograde. No, <laughs> I am aware of these kind of things, but it's almost like, you know, I'm going next uh, week to um, Sequoia. I'm not going to cancel the trip if there is um, snow. I'm going to say, you know what, it's going to be snow. I'll take some uh, warmer clothes. Uh, kind of unfortunate, but it's okay. We'll go, we're going to go anywhere to visit the trees, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. not like that's the way I look at astrology a lot of time as some kind of a weather cast. It can help you decide if you want to take an umbrella or not, but it's not a make it or break it situation. You can use it. You cannot be used by it. Yes, right. And um, I read on your website that the Kabbalah speaks of cosmic or universal energy. And, of course, astrology pertains to the energy of our local solar system. Can you tell us how you combine the two? Yeah, I think that uh, when I I actually came to astrology through Kabbalah, because I think I first uh, encountered Kabbalah, but it was in the same school that I studied with in Mexico, but they were also very much um, uh, teaching Kabbalah. So I think that the way to look at it is like in your camera, you have the uh, zoom in and zoom out when you want to do macro, you want to do um, close-up, or if you want to shoot some landscape which is very far from you. I think what astrology does is kind of zooms in to our lives, um, and it has a lot of details, and it's very good at understanding what's happening here on Earth every day. What Kabbalah does, and a lot of other systems of mysticism, whether it's Sufism um, or uh, Tantra, it zooms out and tries to get the whole picture. There's no more cause and effect. There is just the general picture. So it's kind of give us a God-eye view of things. So astrology and, and uh, Kabbalah are very compatible in the sense that one helps us understand the here and now, the other one understands the context. And the mm. thing is that because a lot of astrologers did study Kabbalah, and a lot of Kabbalists were astrologers, um, especially in the Golden Age during uh, the time of, uh, in, in Spain when Kabbalah was basically written down and developed. You, you see a crossover in concepts and understandings between Kabbalah and uh, astrology. So, for example, the most important chart you can say of Kabbalah is the Tree of Life, which is a formation of ten spheres that are ten archetypes by which God uh, supposedly created the universe. You that you know those lower spheres, which represents much more the dense here and now kind of uh, energy, they have planets that are associated with them. So, for example, if you have an image of the tree of life and you see that there's ten spheres, the lowest, the the, 
let's say the third sphere is the first one that actually has a planet assigned to it. So that sphere kind of becomes the essence or the archetype of the planet. In this case, it's Saturn. Hmm. So the highest planet, you can say, in Kabbalah, because don't forget that Kabbalah was developed before uh, Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto were um, discovered. Mm-hmm. Saturn represented those boundaries, the place that after this place there's only monsters and aliens. You know? So even in the concept of Kabbalah, the highest sphere that gets um, a, a planet is the sphere that is associated actually with the feminine energies of what they call Shrinao, the, the mother energy. Uh, you can say the pregnant sphere, which is called understanding. So what I can understand, as a person who does astrology, is that Saturn gives the energy of understanding. Understanding is the energy of Saturn. Therefore, I can look at a chart and say, okay, this person has Saturn in the uh, third house, the house of uh, communication. This person came to understand how to communicate. Instead of telling a client, oh, you have Saturn in the third house. They always would say, so what does it mean? You know, mm-hmm. Or, okay, Saturn now is traveling in Sagittarius. Okay, what does it mean? What does it mean? You have to understand Sagittarius in order to get pregnant, that's the sphere of the tree of life of understanding, to give life to a new understanding or a new concept or a new business or a new child or whatever it is. You have to do it through the medium of Sagittarius. Why? Because Saturn, the planet that relates to the pregnant sphere, mm-hmm. is in Sagittarius. So basically, you get the tools of the archetypes of the tree of life that combine into the chart. For example, the uh, fourth sphere in the Tree of Life happens to be the sphere of Jupiter, that the symbol of four is the symbol of Jupiter. So what do we know about this sphere? It's called mercy, unconditional love. So what does it mean in this chart? Wherever you have Jupiter, you experience the grace of God. You experience mercy. So instead of saying, oh, you have Jupiter in the first house, that means that you're very jovial, we can say, oh, you have Jupiter in the first house, you have mercy with your body, with your personality, with your path in this life. So it kind of gives another, another set of metaphors, another set of allegories, another poetry uh, to the reading of the chart when you combine astrology and um, Kabbalah. Wonderful. And you are such a wonderful storyteller, and uh, you describe the sign of Sagittarius in terms of its location between the signs of Scorpio and Capricorn in the Zodiac, and also its seasonal timing in the yearly calendar in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, tell us about that and how you interpret it in that way. You know, I always, I always fascinated, like what we started talking about, why did they put in the folder called Sagittarius? Optimism, hope, truth, higher education, you know, why did they put it all there in the time of the year which the days are the darkest? Think about it. Sagittarius is the, is the, is the water bear. It's the um, light bear, the fire bear. It's a mutable fire sign, right? So you would expect it to be like Leo in the summer or like Aries um, when the light becomes bigger, or at least in the northern hemisphere, the, night, the, the days are longer than the, the night. All this totally makes sense. How come Sagittarius is the sign that's supposed to deliver fire from one place to the other, and yet it's ruling the darkest days? Not only the darkest days, every day in Sagittarius is worse. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. Every day that passes on in Sagittarius time, the light, night becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and it gets worse. When does it get a little bit better? After the solstice, when the night are getting smaller, even though the night is longest, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, what is the logic here? And then I realized, okay, that's why Sagittarius is optimistic. 
because Sagittarius have to be optimistic because it's so dark. You're not supposed to be optimistic when everything goes really well. You're supposed to be optimistic when things are not necessarily going well. And then I realized that here we have the light in the end of the tunnel metaphor, astrologically speaking. The light is Sagittarius. It is at the end of the tunnel. So it means that we always connect to our inner light in our darkest moment. That the truth of everything that the zodiac or the astrology is trying to tell us is that the sign that contains truth, that holds the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, is the sign that is located in the worst real estate in the zodiac year. Hmm. Not only the days are shorter, but on one side you have a neighbor called Scorpio, which is the witch, and the tarot card for Scorpio is death. And on the other side of your uh, real estate, you know, of your uh, other neighbor is uh, Capricorn, which is considered to be the sign of karma ruled by Saturn, and the tarot card for it is the devil. So you have mm-hmm. the death and devil on both sides of your fences, and you're this Sagittarius person. So first of all, we understand now why Sagittarius likes to travel so much, because <laughs> they like to get out of their place, and I can understand. And it's also the time when we travel, in a sense, because this is a time that you have to travel mentally, travel without movement, like they call it. That's why you go and study a lot about other places. That's where you dream about exotic locations. But Sagittarius' truth is that things will be better. And you know what? They're always right. Because right as Sagittarius ends, the days become bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually in Aries, the prophecy manifests. So what we have is the archetype of Sagittarius being the prophet. And what is he prophesizing? Not like we said sometimes the biblical um, prophets that we call them uh, prophets because they they rage about the uh, temple in Jerusalem being destroyed and so forth. It's more the social conscious a person who is able, like Nathan in the Bible, to reprimand David or Merlin to uh, reprimand Arthur, um, and that archetype of or Samuel to anoint David. So that archetype of the prophet as a person who wants to change the consciousness of people and the prophet that can see that eventually everything will be okay. And you know what, even according to Buddhism, eventually everybody will get enlightened. Maybe it will take 500 lifetimes, maybe two lifetimes, maybe one lifetime, but eventually everybody will attain enlightenment, including this planet. So it makes sense that Sagittarius is the sign of teaching, teaching about how things will be get better and how we can actually look forward to our enlightenment, even if it's going to be very far from today. Mm-hmm. And that's why philosophy, the love of wisdom, is associated with Sagittarius. And I think a lot of it has to do with its location in the Zodiac. Now think about the holidays that were developed after it, because one of the principles that I'm sure you guys talked about many times in the show is that astrology is the mother, not only of science, but it's also the mother of all religion. First was astrology, then came religion. And people don't always like listening to it or hearing it because they think it's blasphemous, but it's actually true. Sagittarius rules religion. And if you look at all of our holidays, whether it's Christmas, whether it's uh, Hanukkah, whether it's Easter, whether it's um, Ramadan, it doesn't matter what tradition you are. Even the birth of the Buddha was on the full moon. The time he got enlightened was a full moon in May. The time he died was a full moon. You know, all the Jewish holidays fall on the new moon or a full moon. Uh, yes, uh, yes. holidays that are very important are solstice and uh, equinox based. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you look at the holidays that are celebrated during Sagittarius, which is a lot of time Hanukkah, the, uh, the day of light, 
the eight days that you are supposed to light a Hanukkah or like a um, eight candles, one day after the other, eight is infinity. It's almost like you're helping light because it's so dark. So every day you're lighting more light because the days are getting shorter. Then we have Christmas, which is supposed to be the celebration of light. As we approach Christmas, the whole streets are full of light. Why? We're fighting that uh, concept of darkness that, again, bringing hope in the time of dark. This is all Sagittarius activities. And Sagittarius really understands these cycles that sometimes things are bad and sometimes they're good. And so it's, in a way, it, it sounds like it's holding out hope for when it reverses. And so by lighting those candles and being optimistic, it's helping uh, bring it to another place, another more optimistic place in that cycle? Yeah, totally. And I think yes. that... Uh, I think that's the gift of Sagittarius. Now, sometimes we tell Sagittarius, oh, they're over-optimistic. Well, their, their job is to be optimistic. So what do you mm. mean over? You know, right. they're, uh, they're the sign of truth. So it's not like they're lying. They really believe it's going to get better. And the concept is, the philosophy of uh, Sagittarius, if all of us will believe that it will be better, it will be better. Look at the economy. That's how the economy works. That's how the stock market works. Right. People believe the interest rate rates are going to go higher. Suddenly, the the all oh, the Dow goes down. Why? They believe. Nobody said anything. <laughs> so if everybody can believe that the uh, economy is going to be great, it will be great. I mean, that's yes, that's the teaching of Sagittarius. Uh, another uh, concept that's related is uh, serendipity and synchronicity, and Sagittarius is said to rule both of those principles as well. Um, how is that? How is Sagittarius connected to serendipity and, and synchronicity? Because we have to remember that really astrology works about only six archetypes, not 12. Hmm. To really, be honest, it's really six. That's why I tell all my students that if they're really lazy, they can only learn about Aries, Virgo. And then, when they want to know about Libra, they just have to put minus in front of Aries. <laughs> so if Aries is red, of course, Libra will be green. If Aries is war, Libra will be peace. If Aries is I, Libra will be we, and that's it. You don't need to know much more. Because there are six, there are six axes, as you can call it, or six paths, in a sense. So the path of Gemini, which is, of course, uh, the opposite of Sagittarius, so Gemini, Sagittarius path, is a path of knowledge and communication. That's why Sagittarius is mass communication, and Libra, uh, Gemini being the opposite is communication within the country and so forth. Mm-hmm. So what we have in um, uh, Gemini is a lot of time the cause and effect. That's the binary language. That's how computers are built, like Gemini's. Mm-hmm. Sagittarius comes and says, wait, there is a deeper meaning to it. What will be the opposite of cause and effect? Correlation. Serendipities. Coincidence. Acausality, like Jung used to call it. Meaning that uh, we're now talking, Gemini explains physics as, um, as Newtonian classical physics. Um, Sagittarius will be the modern physics. The quantum concepts. The neutrons. You know, neutrinos and all those, um, and the quarks. So all of that uh, subatomic level where, according to Jung and Pauli, who is basically those are the two people that developed the concept of synchronicity. Pauli, of course, got his Nobel Prize for discovering the uh, neutrinos and the subatomic uh, particles. Um, that concept of, of synchronicities and coincidences 
are, that's where it takes place. And that's what my feeling is, that people think that they can prove uh, astrology. I mean, all the attempts to prove astrolog- astrology, scientifically speaking, doesn't make sense to me because science is something that has to happen, experiment has to happen beyond space and time, meaning that it can happen in Germany tomorrow, and my experiment will be the same if I do it today here. But astrology, it's all about the difference between space and time. Therefore, a person born yesterday in Germany is not the same person as a, somebody born here today. So I don't think in the Newtonian concept of science you can actually prove astrology, which defies space and time. Mm-hmm. And says that you can't really bound it. So if there is any going to be any proofs for it, I think it's going to come from the Sagittarian concept of um, correlations. That's why I always tell my students that I don't think Mercury retrograde, therefore you're late. There is no cause and effect. There is you're late and Mercury is retrograde. Does that make sense? Right, because correlation doesn't necessarily imply causation. It just means right. that, that there is a connection, that there is uh, some meaning for us uh, that we can connect the two events that provide some Sagittarian meaning or understanding or greater understanding of what's going on. And that's precisely Sagittarius' teaching. Right, yeah. But, you know, even, um, you know, it's kind of funny because Lao Tzu, the, the great um, a Taoist, the one that actually began Taoist, some people even believe she, it might have been a woman, but that's a different story. We're talking about 2,500 years ago, the, the, the age of the axial age. And he came, or she came up with the concept that um, there is your truth, my truth, and the truth. And the minute you speak about the truth, you're lying. Which is really <laughs> fascinating, because there is the axis of Gemini and Sagittarius. Gemini is ruled by Mercury, the god of lies and thieves. I'm not saying that all Geminis are liars, but they tend to add to the story if it's not interesting enough. And Sagittarius is all about the truth. But what does it tell us? That the truth and the lies are kind of interconnected in a sense. You know, so Sagittarius is really that paradoxical uh, sign. In one sense, it's, uh, it's a horse, a beast, basically. In the other sense, it's divine. And that mm-hmm. every Sagittarius complex, I mean, the Sagittarian complex is that concept that we all have. We know that we're beastly, and that's why we tend to be sometimes very sexual, or very greedy, or very passionate, or very fearful, or very survival-oriented. That's the animal in us. That's the monkey. But at the same time, we have a, a divine quality. And somehow we are partly divine. We have the spark of God, like Kabbalah tells us. We have the Kundalini point, like they tell us in yoga. So that embassy of God is inside that beast, and we're precisely in the journey of Sagittarius, trying to be here and now, and yet strive to shoot arrows to the stars. So that's part of um, what it means, being a Sagittarius, and now, like this whole program is about, because Saturn is in Sagittarius, we're all practicing understanding what it means to be Sagittarius, even if you're not Sagittarius. Yes, and in one of your articles that I read, you describe the adventure-loving movie character Indiana Jones as a perfect Sagittarian archetype. Tell us why he is. Well, um, I think that he's really the combination of everything good about Sagittarius. First of all, he's in the academy. He's a professor. So mm-hmm. anything to do with higher education, uh, teaching, is um, Sagittarius. The first scene we have with him is him teaching, basically. He's a little bit fish out of water, but he's still a Sagittarius in the academy. 
So it totally makes sense. Then we suddenly see him in a foreign place. Foreign cultures are ruled by Sagittarius. Why? Because if something is true only in your village, it's not true. Because maybe in another village, it's completely off. So you have to travel and you have to test your truth in different places to see that it really works. That's why truth and traveling are very much connected. That's why even they say a prophet, it can't be a prophet in your own town. You have to move away from where you are to become a prophet. That's because if you want to be Sagittarius, which is a prophet, you have to travel, which is Sagittarius. So we see him um, exhibiting in a different country, a different culture. And if you look at every one of his movies, he's in a different location, dealing with a different religion, and that's very Sagittarius. Sagittarius is not about uh, one faith, in a sense. It's realizing that all faiths are totally good. I mean, Jupiter is accepting for everything. So in one time, he's showing us that the uh, Raider of the Lost Ark, that, that, that Judaism works. Then he shows us that um, Hinduism works. And the third one, it shows us that Christianity and the Holy Grail works. And he's indifferent to all of this. It's not like at all with the miracles. He understands miracles. Sagittarius is miracle. It's the miracle of light, miracle of truth. So he has the sense of optimism, the sense of fearlessness that a lot of Sagittarius has. If the ark is inside the submarine, it's going under, he jumps. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's optimistic. I'll hold on. Hold on to what? Oh, he'll hold on to the uh, submarine and go under somehow. <laughs> he will open up the hatch and he'll jump in. How does he know that? He doesn't, but he does because he's a prophet. He's, sur- he's surfing synchronicity. So there's bound to be some crazy synchronicity that will help him. And he's optimistic. And he knows that he's doing the right thing, which is something that Sages have the tendency. That's why they can be sometimes a little bit preachy, because when you go too far into Sagittarius land, you can be over-optimistic, like we said, and you can stop being a teacher and become a preacher, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, um, and he's very physically active. He's not like a nerd professor. He's kind of like very physical. He's uh, very athletic. And again, Sagittarius is half horse, half human. It's a very athletic animal. Yes. Yes. Well, he is a wonderful example of of some of these these important um, characteristics and traits of Sagittarius that help us understand its energy. Let's go ahead and take a short break now. And when we come back, we will be continuing our conversation with Gal Sasson about Sagittarius. And specifically, we will be discussing the recent ingress of Saturn into Sagittarius and its square to Neptune what that means, and what it has in store for us. So stay tuned. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Janie McCarthy loves being a professional astrologer. Her academic pursuits in consciousness exploration, negotiations, and relationship transformation have been critical to helping her clients integrate their material and spiritual worlds. She is known for her ability to simplify and articulate even the most complex concepts to trigger aha moments of pure, meaningful, and lasting clarity. Janie is available for booking presentations, workshops, and client consultations and can be contacted at JanieMcCarthy.com. 
Mary Jo Weavers is a licensed spiritual health coach specializing in soul personality integration. A certified karmic astrologer, Mary Jo uses the symbolic language of astrology to help her clients understand themselves and their life experiences from a deeper spiritual perspective. Mary Jo can help you gain clarity about your life purpose, relationship dynamics, and how to live your life more effectively. She is available for astrological consultations in person, by phone, and Skype. Check out our website at MaryJoWeavers.com. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Astrology, the Theory of Everything. To reach the hosts or the guests today, you may send an email to AstroTalkRadio at iCloud.com or find us on Facebook at AstroTalkRadio. You can email Janie McCarthy through her website, JanieMcCarthy.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. This is Mary Jo Weavers. I am talking today with special guest, Cosmic Navigator Gal Eden Sasson, about the sign of Sagittarius. And the sun is not the only planet moving from the sign of Scorpio into Sagittarius. Recently, Saturn moved from Scorpio into Sagittarius and will stay in Sag for the next two and a half or so years. Please describe this shift for us, Gal, as Saturn turns its attention from Scorpio to Sag. And perhaps it would be helpful for some of our listeners if you began by explaining what Saturn represents in astrology. Well, first of all, Saturn is considered by many to be maybe the most important aspect to look in a chart because everybody knows what their sign is. Therefore, everybody knows where their sun is. And of course, our main allegiance, at least mine, especially doing Western astrology, is the sun. Because I feel that we're all creatures of the sun. Actually, if you zoom out of the, of the solar system, you're not going to see any planets. You're going to see just the sun. So I hold the sun as the most important thing. And that's why when I ask you what your sign is, you basically answer with your uh, solar tribe. Let's call it like that. But after the sun, I think it's really important in our interpretation to look at Saturn because it's considered to be... Uh, by many different traditions, as a very important planet. Don't forget, it is a planet that the furthest away that the naked eye can see, without aid, without the telescope and so forth, and it has rings around it which represents constriction or represents a, a leash, energetically speaking, and it has always been associated with karma, past lives, uh, lessons that we have to learn in this lifetime based on action we took in past lives. Even in Kabbalah, it's associated with the tikkun. Tikkun in Hebrew is what you came here to fix, to mend. Very similar to the concept of karma. But it's a little bit more proactive. It's not like you're a victim of your past lives. It's more like, okay, how are we going to fix it? I know it's broken, so tell me how to fix it. Instead of telling me, oh, it's broken here. Okay, great, but what should I do? That's why we talked about Saturn in, in the Tree of Life is associated with understanding. It was from the fall of 2012 in Scorpio, trying to fix trying to understand the archetype of Scorpio, which is not an easy archetype to understand. It's a very dark and deep and uh, powerful sign. And mm-hmm. we all had to go to the underworld, in a sense, because Pluto, Hades, is the ruler of Scorpio. Now we're moving into the realm of Sagittarius, 
We already had a glimpse of it between uh, December of last year until about May this year, because Saturn was in Sagittarius already. Then it moved back into Scorpio to finish the business, and then from September 18, approximately, it moved into Sagittarius again. It's going to be there until December 2017. So this is a time that is very, very important for us to understand the archetype of Sagittarius and to try to master what Sagittarius is trying to teach us. Because Saturn, imagine Saturn to be kind of a drill sergeant or uh, somebody who is a contractor in a sense. And he comes to your house and he's trying to fix a room called Sagittarius. So obviously he's going to break some walls. It's going to make a lot of dust, a lot of noise. It's going to cost a lot of money. But eventually that room will be worth much more. What is that room? Like we said, authenticity. So this is two years where you really have to be authentic. And one of the exercises I always ask people to do, and it's really tough, is try not to lie. Now, it's going to be impossible because we're talking right now on the phone, we're talking on the radio, we're listening to our computers if we're listening to this show through the computer. All of these things, according to astrology, are ruled by Gemini and Mercury. And Mercury, we know from the Greek mythology, we talked about it, is the god of liars and thieves. The minute I start talking, even if I talk about the truth, I'm a liar. So (laughs) what I'm saying is, beyond those conventional normal lies of being human beings, can you pay attention to when you're lying? For example, you didn't want to offend your mother and you told her that you couldn't come earlier because you were busy. And you weren't busy. You were like checking your phone for messages and you're sitting in a coffee shop because you didn't want to be there for too long. I don't know. I'm just giving an example. So that's a lie. So how can I just tell her that I wasn't in the coffee shop, that I have a different reason, the truth? Or how can I avoid lying in general? So one of the things that I really recommend people to do is to kind of pay attention to it and to see how shocked they are, how much little lies we go around the day doing or working on, around our lies, and if we can somehow limit them, let's say instead of 150, instead of 52, because I'm not asking people to not do it at all because of our human existence. So that's one of the exercises that's very easy. But in a more philosophical way, how can we lead a more authentic life? whether it's changing some aspect of our work, maybe changing our relationship with our bosses or coworkers so we can be more authentic. How can we speak up our mind a little bit more? Also, I recommend people to learn a new language. Um, it's, a, it's a big investment, energetically speaking, and sometimes financially. But uh, when you learn a language, my theory is that you also tap into memories that you might have had or skills that you might have had when you use that language in a past life. So let's say... Um, I started learning Spanish because I happened to be in Mexico when I learned astrology, so I had to learn Spanish to speak astrology in a sense. And I think that um, I probably spoke Spanish when I did astrology and Kabbalah in a past lifetime because it came very easy the minute I started studying astrology and Kabbalah. So whenever you learn a new language, a new skill, a new talent, a new hobby, a new interest actually develops. Because Sagittarius is all about foreign cultures, and learning a new language maybe even lead you eventually to travel to a place that speaks that language, will be something that honors understanding Sagittarius. Or go study something. It doesn't have to be going to a degree in university. It could be learning another course in astrology. It could be learning Reiki. It could be learning um, um, to be a yoga teacher. Whatever it is that can allow you to learn. And to remember from the lessons of Sagittarius that to be a good student, you have to be a teacher. To be a good teacher, you have to be a student. Mm. So what Sagittarius is trying to do, a Saturn in Sagittarius is trying to do, is teach us how to teach, teach us how to learn, 
explain to us how we can live a more authentic and truthful life, and um, kind of connecting us to our true philosophy. Almost like one of the things I also recommend people to do is to write their mission statement as if they were a company, and to write three sentences that describe what they absolutely believe in and have that written down and, and memorized, almost like their constitution if they were a country, but not so long and, you know, just like three sentences. And then look at whatever they are doing in their life. Let's say they're working in a, in a business or they have a partner or they uh, think of what kind of school to send their kids. You go back to your mission statement and read the mission statement and translate it to the new school of your kids. If it is not part of your mission statement, then you can't do it. If that job is making you go against your mission statement, then you have to look for another job. If this partner is causing you to be different than what your mission statement is, then you need a new partner. And that would be a good way to kind of get out of um, um, lack of authenticity, which is kind of dangerous when Saturn is in Sagittarius. Also, you can go back to times where um, Saturn was in Sagittarius if you were alive, you know, back then. So we're talking about... um, Basically, the cycles of Saturn is 29 and a half. So you're basically wanting to go back to, let's say, December 1926 to November 1929, to January 1956 to January 1959, roughly. November 16, 1985 to November 1988. Those are the times that Saturn was already in Sagittarius. And remember, we talked about Sagittarius being the concept of cycles. So Saturn in Sagittarius started a certain cycle for you, Um, in those dates if you were here. Um, And even if you were not here, it's good for you to go to those dates and see what popular movies were going on, what popular music was going on, because all of those things, arts, um, architecture, politics, were influenced by that or correlated, like we said, with that Saturn in Sagittarius. And you can understand what is the zeitgeist, like the, the spirit of the time of Saturn being in Sagittarius. So even if you're 15, you can still go back to uh, 85 and 88 and see what was popular then, what kind of movies. So similar kind of energies and movies are happening right now. And that's how you work with astrology. It's not about knowing what's going to happen in the future. It's understanding the cycles of the past that can help you create the future that you want. Yes, and going back to the last cycle of Saturn and Sagittarius on the personal level, it seems to me it could also be a good exercise to revisit, you know, if we're old enough, what was going on in our life at that time and how were we using our Sagittarius energy and uh, perhaps what can we work on uh, this in this cycle? You know, how can we carry that work a bit further? Yeah, definitely, because that's, uh, precisely how you work with astrology. I don't think you uh, need to be a victim of the planets, in a sense. I think the planets are there to <clears throat> really help you. Yes. Really understand how to work better with yourself. Now, Sagittarius can be such an expansive, enthusiastic energy uh, that it sometimes pursues a vision a futuristic vision that exceeds the limits of reality. And to me, Saturn, the Saturn principle really helps to ground that expansive Sag energy and bring it down to Earth. Uh, tell us how, how you see Saturn helping to modify or rectify or redirect this expansive energy of Sag. It's aiming the horse. 
<laughs> that's, that's a, a good, good metaphor. A that uh, wants to be in nature, obviously, and wants to run and wants to do what he wants. So for a lot of uh, people, horses actually represent freedom. They, Saturn is coming and saying, no, he needs to run in the course and he needs to uh, be trained because otherwise he is dangerous. So what you're basically doing is taming, in a sense, your inner horse. But remember we talked about how Sagittarius is already, uh, it's a double sign, don't forget, and it is a mutable sign. Mutable meaning that it's uh, all over the place. And it's um, uh, fluctuating. It's adjusting all the time. It's not stable by definition. Um, and Saturn is the kind of energy that creates pressure in a specific place. It can have something running all over the place. So if you're looking at uh, Saturn on the, on the horse, you're talking about uh, the saddle. You're talking about the harness. You're talking about uh, basically the girdle, everything that is needed in order to be able to ride that horse and to use the horse-like qualities of Sagittarius. And we said that the double sign, it is half human, half divine. So Saturn is trying to put those two things together. So it's, um, I think that when Saturn is in Sagittarius, you're going to feel a lot more synchronicities, a lot more coincidences, not less. Let's say when Jupiter is in Sagittarius, it might be too much. So many synchronicities, you don't even pay attention to them. You don't even remember them. Saturn in Sagittarius could mean that you need to focus those synchronicities and actually lead a workshop on synchronicities. And one of the things I recommend people to do is to kind of create a sphere of synchronicities, meaning that you're asking the universe to have specific synchronicities about a sphere. I'm not talking about a point. I'm talking about a sphere, meaning that it could be something like, I want more clarity about relationships, so let synchronicities guide me in relationship. You can do the same thing with Saturn in Sagittarius, especially if you know your chart a little bit more and you know where you have Sagittarius. Uh, you can maybe ask uh, the synchronicities of Saturn to affect the house where you have Saturn in Sagittarius. So if it's the first house, maybe more about my body and what I need to do to uh, accept my um, identity more. If it's the house of money and talents and self-worth, how can I use my talents for improving my finances and so forth? So asking Saturn in Sagittarius to be the tamer of the horse that can direct you and lead you to a certain path, a certain clarity. And I think that would be the best. Yes. And it also seems to me that it, it's as if Saturn might be asking Sagittarius about its beliefs or its philosophy or of its vision of life, um, something along the lines of, can you substantiate that statement or belief? Or if, if you were to make that vision that you hold a reality, how would you accomplish that or achieve that? Or what kind of work and resources and time are needed in order to bring it into form or to make it happen. So to me, it feels like this could also be a time where we can take these visions and, and really walk our talk and figure out how we can bring it into uh, fruition, into physical reality. I totally agree. And I think that, again, Saturn is a little bit more stern, and he is now in the sign of philosophy and creeds and, and uh, wisdom. And it's basically trying to... Uh, get us to consolidate what we believe in and to actually act upon our beliefs. The only danger with it uh, on a political level is people getting a little bit fanatical, people getting preachy. 
So you mm-hmm. have even uh, some candidates that uh, start giving their philosophy about um, the story of evolution or uh, what they think, how the universe was created and so forth. So you're having also with that Saturn, again, which is very conservative and, and very strict, in Sagittarius, which is a sign of religion, it can be a very dangerous mix. You see it with uh, outside of the United States in what's happening with uh, um, the Islamic State or people getting a little bit more right-winged in Europe, uh, even what's happening in America right now. You're seeing that uh, philosophies and religion are becoming more, instead of more open and more accepting, you're getting them to be more... Um, focused and more structured and more fanatical. And that's part of the issue that we're having lately in the age of Aquarius when people are only listening to the um, media outlet that support what they think. In the past, even when I was growing up in Israel, we had one station. You have no choice but to listen to that station. And that station tried to capture as much possible uh, different varieties of um, um, views. Now, if you're in a certain uh, philosophy, you're just listening to what you want. And that supports you, that reinforces you and doesn't let you think about other um, concepts and other people. So that's the danger of Saturn in Sagittarius. Because Sagittarius, like we said, can get fanatical. It can get um, um, pretty intense with the way they believe, uh, like wanting to get converts, you know, a missionary in a sense. And like you said earlier, Indeed, Neptune is going to be squaring Saturn in Sagittarius, I mean Pisces in Sagittarius. We know that Neptune is the ruler of of, uh, religion. Pisces is the sign that is associated with religion. Um, The other sign that is ruled by Jupiter, if you remember, it is Pisces. So Pisces and, and Sagittarius have a very strong connection, except the fact that they're squaring. Squaring basically means, like in English, to square off. They don't get along very well. One is water, one is fire, and so forth. So the meeting of those two, um, the, the, the square of those things that already started, we're already feeling it here in, uh, in, in 2015, and it's definitely going to be very strong in, um, in June, in September of 2016, so uh, even in 2017, it's, it's basically a time where we are going to be asked to really evaluate our beliefs and where are we being a little bit too fanatical, even in our in our. Good things. Let's say you're, you're waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and doing yoga for two hours every day. Wait, wait, wait. Are you sure that's what you need? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everything, even good things, uh, or you're a vegan and you're making everybody feel terrible in lunch, um, instead of just being a vegan and not even having to talk about it, just order what you want. Or are you being fanatical now? And you're making us feel as if we're slaughtering uh, animals for no reason. So it's really checking to see if we're not getting a little bit of uh, ISIL uh, in our own personal life. Um, and also, it's not a very comfortable thing because it's talking about reality versus illusion. What is real? Yes. What is yes. Um, it almost feels to me like Odysseus trying to go back to um, Ithaca and being cursed by Neptune because he killed one of his sons. I mean, the Cyclops was Neptune's uh, sons. So Odysseus is very Sagittarian for me because he's... Uh, um, about traveling, he's very—he's kind of a mixture of Sagittarius and, and Gemini because he's very—he he was very much a trickster as well. But that whole concept of having to—it took him ten years to come back home—is very much the um, Sagittarius squaring. I mean, the Saturn in Sagittarius squaring Neptune. So be careful of wild, uh, crazy dreams, disillusionments, frustration, false prophets. Um, 
you know, but there's some interesting people that had that formation in their chart, like Mark Twain, George Lucas, and those are people that were very imaginative. Mm. Well, very it seems, it, very yes, nice. they were. And it, it seems that, you know, with those two planets squaring each other, there there is a lot of conflict, a lot of things happening across purposes. But if we, I'm trying to think of how that could work in the highest and best ways for us. And it seems that Neptune and Pisces could be washing away and dissolving any old beliefs that aren't based in our truth or based in reality or are not useful or that keep us from manifesting our vision. Uh, and, and at the same time, Saturn could be ground-truthing and testing our Sagittarian beliefs and expansive ideas for, for reality and practical application. Um, but a, a, as you say, it's, it's really tricky to work with both of these uh, planetary energies in, in, uh, in constructive, mindful ways. Yeah, but um, every story needs um, tension or antagonist and square. So the antagonist of 2016, if 2016 would have been a story, is definitely this uh, combination. Yes. And that well, means that we're going to be testing our strengths against that. Mm-hmm. And squares cool. always talk about a call to action. So it's definitely going to be a lot of action. And so what kind of actions can you tell our listeners they might want to be on the lookout for in their lives? You know, when you talk about Sagittarius and Neptune, I would say, again, a call to action to work in a foreign place, uh, for a call to action to study something. Um, because Sagittarius is very much a sign of movement, I would really start doing some physical activity, martial arts, because Neptune and Pisces is all about dance, yoga, maybe the call of action could be taking your partner and learning tango dancing or going more to yoga. Uh, Neptune is also meditation, meditating longer, writing a dream, dream journal, because Neptune is all about dreams, um, spending more time in water, doing water activity, whether it's water paddling or uh, surfing and so forth. So anything that can combine those energies in a better way than necessarily a square will honor both these archetypes and allow them to be more harmonious in your life. Wonderful. Well, Gal, uh, let's, let's spend a little bit of time having you tell us about your books. Uh, the first book is called A Wish Can Change Your Life. Um, and it's basically about Kabbalah and how you can work with the Tree of Life to manifest your dreams. Uh, the concept is very simple. God, according to Kabbalah, created the universe using the uh, Tree of Life. Because we are created in the image of God, we can also use the Tree of Life to create something in our own universe. The uh, second book, uh, Cosmic Navigator, basically is divided into three parts. The first part talks about the philosophy of astrology, including past lives and uh, how it connects to storytelling and archetypes. Second part is helping you to interpret your own chart. And people mm-hmm. can always go to my website, CosmicNavigator.com, and there's free content there, a lot of free lectures on each one of the signs. There is a free chart generator that you can do without having to send emails and so forth. That way you can learn more about how to interpret your chart. And the last part is just divided to each one of the archetypes, and it shows the Hebrew letter, a meditation, a story, a hero that is associated with the um, a sign. So people can even just skip the whole book and go to that part if that's what's interesting for them. Great. 
And uh, do you have any upcoming workshops, uh, lectures, or any other events that our listeners um, might be interested in? Yeah, I would love to. Um, if, since we did talk about Kabbalah, I'm teaching a yearly uh, weekend retreat on Kabbalah at Esalen in California, uh, May 20th to 22nd. And um, it's always a fun class because I have my very good uh, Pisces friend who is a pretty famous acrobat and choreographer, and she comes. And I talk about the more intellectual aspect and spiritual aspect, and she embodies it in the body through exercises. So it's kind of a fun weekend by the sea. And so if anybody is around California or can come to California, they're going to be very welcome. Great. That sounds like a great uh, Neptune and Pisces workshop to attend. (laughs) And then uh, let's see, if our listeners want to learn more about your services or contact you, uh, they can reach you at CosmicNavigator.com. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. Great. Okay. Well, we are running out of time for today's show. So I would like to thank Gal Eden Sasson for sharing his brilliant understanding and insights and stories about the sign of Sagittarius and telling us how we can better align with its energy during this time period. And I'd like to thank you listeners for joining us today on Astrology, the Theory of Everything. In keeping with the theme of Sagittarius, I want to express gratitude to the thousands of people who tune in from all over the globe each month to listen in on this show. You can find this show on Facebook at Astro Talk Radio. And if you enjoy it, I hope you will like it. Link up with me on LinkedIn. And we can continue our Sagittarius conversations on Twitter with hashtag Astro Talk Radio. Thank you very much, Gall. It's been a delight to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for being part of the show today. Please join Janie McCarthy and Mary Jo Weavers again next month for another edition of Astrology, the Theory of Everything. You can listen to all our shows on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. May the stars be with you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.